Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. One verse this morning. One verse. And this is a perfect Good Friday, Easter weekend verse because it talks about Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. It talks about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it talks about how Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection bring us salvation. Perfect verse for us this morning. And throughout the Bible, we read about the salvation that we have in Jesus, and the descriptions are breathtaking. Salvation means having God supernaturally change our hearts, cause us to become new creations. So we love Jesus, we trust Jesus, we're filled with the joy of knowing God through Jesus. Salvation means being completely forgiven for all your sins, all the past sins, all the present sins, and all the future sins forgiven. No judgment from God, no punishment from God, no hell ever. Just love and grace and mercy from God because of Jesus. Sin's guilt is paid for in salvation. Sin's power is broken in salvation. Like I said, there's a supernatural change. We come sinful, we come weak, we come prone to wander. He changes our hearts, sets us free from sin's power at the point of salvation and then progressively growing through our Christian lives and then perfectly and finally in eternity. We're adopted into God's family through salvation so that from that point on, God is your Father. Loving Father. Providing Father. Protecting Father. Guiding Father. Loving, caring, compassionate Father. You have God as your Father. And for the rest of your life here on earth and on through eternity, you're going to know only love from God care from God, compassion from God. The salvation that's described in the scriptures, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is breathtaking. But there's a danger about this salvation. And the danger is that, in fact, Jesus said this in, in the scriptures, that there will be people who are deceived in thinking they are saved when they're not. And God knows about this danger, and God loves us, and he doesn't want any of us, doesn't want anyone to be deceived into thinking they are saved when they're not. And so God has given us verses in the scripture to help us not be deceived. He's given us verses in the scriptures to help us see clearly whether we're saved or whether we're not. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is one of those verses. Now, here's some background to this verse. 1 Peter, a letter written by Peter the Apostle, and he wrote this to followers of Jesus who were suffering for their faith, suffering terribly for their faith. And he wrote this letter to strengthen them, to encourage them, to build them up. And one of the encouragements he gives them is to say, this might sound like a strange encouragement, but he says, listen, Jesus suffered also, which helps us see that just as it was God's will for Jesus to suffer, so it's also God's will sometimes for his followers to suffer. So don't think you have been abandoned by God or left by God. The fact that Jesus suffered means that God also sometimes calls us to suffer. So don't be discouraged. 
And that's one of the points he's making in chapter 3, verse 18. But then he goes on to show us how Jesus' suffering is completely different from our suffering because it brings us salvation. Look at what he says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also, so just like us who suffer, Christ also suffered, just like us. But now here's how it's different. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This verse is full of truth about how Jesus saves us through his death and his resurrection. So let's start with this question. Why did we need to be saved? Why, according to this verse, do we need to be saved? And the answer is in two places in this verse. Notice the word sins. I want to underline that word in the verse. And then the phrase, the unrighteous. So sins and the unrighteous. So let's start with that word sins. What does that mean? We, we would all agree... If somebody asked you, have you sinned? We'd all say, if we're honest, yes, okay, we've all sinned. But what is sin? And what I want to help you see is that sin isn't just disobeying a command. It's not just, oh, I did something wrong. Sin isn't just disobeying a command. Sin is disobeying God. God himself. It's personal. Not just some command, but sin is disobeying God. God. And we will feel how frightening that thought is when we stop and ponder how big God is and how good God is. Okay, how big is God? Let me give you an illustration. Think about the fact that God created the universe. And the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament says that God fills the universe. So that's, that's big. But just how big is the universe? Well, scientists tell us that the Milky Way... This is the galaxy that we are in. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years wide. 100,000 light years. Now, that's just thinking, okay, that's just words. What does that mean? Well, let me try to give you a feel of how wide that is. One light year, one light year is 240, not just trips around our globe, but 240 million trips around our globe. Okay, so think you, you leave Abu Dhabi and you head India, you know, and then you're over the Pacific Ocean heading, I don't know what you hit next, South America or America, and then, okay, then you go across, then you're over the Atlantic, and then, okay, Europe, and then back in Abu Dhabi. That's one, okay? Two, all right, and how many did I say it was? 240 million, it's gonna take a little while, okay? Three, okay? So 240 million trips around the globe is one light year. So the width of the Milky Way isn't just 240 million trips around the globe, though it's 100,000, 240,000 trips around the globe. That's the Milky Way. But it's even more than that. Scientists tell us that our universe has at least... 50 million Milky Way-sized galaxies. And God spoke a word 
and it was there. Created it with a word. How big is God? Sin isn't just disobeying a command. I'm not supposed to be impatient, I know. Sin is disobeying God. That's how big God is. Now, let's talk about how good God is. We see God's goodness in many ways, but one is just that he created us. I mean, think about this massive universe that he created and this beautiful planet Earth we live in with sunsets and pasta, right? Okay? Frozen yogurt and friends and waves and snow-capped mountains and grass and he made this world and he made you and he gave you life and he gave you the body that you had. Now, God didn't have to do that. God isn't lonely. He's not needy. God, from eternity past with no beginning, has been full of joy in his perfections. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, full of joy in their perfections. No needs, full of joy. He didn't need to create us, but he created us so that he could share with us the joy he has in himself. The joy of beholding a God of such perfect goodness and love and immensity and power, knowing him, worshiping him, beholding him. That's the joy you were created for. That's why God created you, so he could share his joy with you. That's how good God is. So God is infinitely big and infinitely good. And sin isn't just disobeying commands. Sin is disobeying God. So when you get angry at the traffic in front of you, you're disobeying God. When you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, you're disobeying God. When you withhold love from someone or have racist attitudes towards someone, you're disobeying God. Do you see how different that is? And just like I, I broke a couple commands yesterday. No, God was standing before me saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. And I said, no. Sin is big. And that's what Peter's talking about with that word sins in chapter 3, verse 18. Not just disobeying commands, but disobeying God. Okay, now what about this word unrighteous that he uses? What does that mean? Here's why this word is so important. We might think, okay, yes, I've sinned. We've all sinned. But, but surely there is some righteousness in me, right? I mean, there's, got to be, there's some righteousness in me, but think about it. If we are unrighteous, which is what Peter is saying here, if we are unrighteous, then how much righteousness is in us? This is not a trick question. The answer is obvious. If we are unrighteous, how much righteousness is in us? Thank you. Keep looking. You're not going to find any, okay? It's just there's none there. You might think, well, that, that sounds kind of harsh, but this is really important for you to understand. How can that be? There's lots of ways of answering it. Let me, let me share with you one. One is, what's the first and greatest commandment that Jesus said? It's to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, God is so glorious and so good and loving and wonderful that it's right for us to passionately love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And now think back to before you were saved. How much did you love God? Really? 
we were all thankful to God at various times for different things that he did. I'm not talking about thanking God for what he does. I'm talking about loving God for who he is. How much did you love God? And did any of us love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength all the time? Uh, no. Unrighteous. So this is why we've needed to be saved. We had no righteousness. We had sin, which meant disobeying God. That was the verdict on our lives. And now how does God respond to this? The Bible says God is loving and patient and compassionate, but also that he's perfectly just. So how should God respond to us who have sinned against him and have been completely unrighteous before him? The answer is that God must punish. We've sinned against an infinitely big, infinitely good, infinitely glorious God. And so the punishment, the Bible says, must be infinite punishment. We've so dishonored God. We've dishonored infinite glory continuously. We deserve infinite punishment, and that's what hell is. Infinite, unending punishment. So we're asking the question, why did we need to be saved? Am I off here? Okay, why do we need to be saved? It's because each of us has sinned against God, and we deserve infinite punishment from God. But the story does not end there. What did Jesus do to save us? God is full of mercy. God sent his own son, Jesus, to save us. That's what we're celebrating this Good Friday, Easter weekend. What did Jesus do? Look at 1 Peter 3, 18 again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, notice that word suffered, Christ suffered. We all know the story. Jesus was beaten by Roman soldiers. Jesus had a crown of thorns rammed down onto his head. Jesus was scourged, which meant he was whipped with a lash that had stones, sharp stones embedded in it, which tore and ripped. And Jesus then was nailed to the cross and lifted up and for hours suffered unspeakable agony as he died. It was the worst form of torture they could think of. And that's why that death was reserved for the worst criminals. He suffered. And now why did he suffer? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a misunderstanding. He wasn't a helpless victim of circumstances beyond his control. He chose to suffer. The Bible says that he could have called forth a legion of angels at any time and been delivered from his suffering. Every minute of his suffering was chosen by him. Why? 1 Peter 3.18, he suffered for sins. It was purposeful. It was for sins. And we see more of what that means in the next line. He suffered for sins 
the righteous for the unrighteous. So we know who the unrighteous are, right? Who are the unrighteous? That would be us. He's the righteous one. So just sit back and think about this. Jesus Christ is fully God. From eternity past, he has existed with the Father and the Spirit, full of joy and fellowship of the Trinity. But then, 2,000 years ago, he became a man. Born of the Virgin Mary, born as a baby. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus grew up and lived a perfectly righteous life. He loved God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly all the time. He always perfectly loved the people around him. He never gossiped or lied. He was always trusting the Father, always obedient, sinless. Jesus Christ is the only sinless human being ever. He's the only perfectly righteous human being. He is the righteous one. So his suffering wasn't for any of his sins. But he chose to suffer for sins, for our sins, is what Peter's saying. He was the righteous one suffering for the unrighteous. That's us. So, so here's the picture. Each of us, because of our sin, before we were saved, it's like we had this reservoir above us full of the wrath and anger of God because of our sin. That reservoir had your name on it, Steve Fuller, God's just wrath and anger, which when I died, Jesus came back, whichever happened first was going to be poured out upon me forever in hell. That's what I deserve because of my sin. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous who would trust him. And so what that means is that the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that reservoir of God's wrath, which was over you, just, it's there, you can't do anything about it yourself, but the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that reservoir is opened and it's diverted to be poured out upon Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. And as Jesus suffered, he suffered the punishment you deserved. The punishment your unrighteousness deserved. The punishment that your sin deserved. He paid for your sins. He is the righteous paying for the unrighteous. And there's one more crucial word here. Notice the word once. He suffered once for sins. What does that mean? Remember, at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus is about ready to breathe his last. Remember what he cried out with a loud voice? It says, it is finished. Because it was finished. The reservoir over me and everyone who would trust Jesus was empty. The last drop of God's wrath against our sins had been poured out upon his son, God the Father, poured his wrath out upon his son because he loves us and he cares for us. Jesus absorbed in himself all the Father's wrath against all those who would trust him because he loves us, because he cares for us. So it is finished. The reservoir is empty. Never will you ever face any punishment from God because of what Jesus did. So we've looked at why we've needed to be saved. It's the word sins, and our description as being the unrighteous. And then we looked at what Jesus did to save us. He suffered once for sins.
the righteous for the unrighteous. And that truth gives us a test that will help us discern whether or not we've been saved. This is so important. Here's the test. Have you felt in your heart that you have sinned against God? Have you felt in your heart that you've sinned against God and that you need a Savior? Have you felt that deeply in your heart? I've sinned against God. I face his judgment forever rightly. There's nothing I could do about it. I've sinned. I'm guilty. Have you felt that you've sinned against God and that you need a Savior? Now, now, here's one reason why this is important. You might think, well, that's obvious, but maybe not. There are people who think they're saved because maybe at one point in their life they felt lonely and wanted Jesus to be their, their friend. Or maybe they needed a job at some point in life and Jesus they wanted Jesus to provide them with a job, and maybe he did, or they were sick at some point in their life, and they wanted Jesus to heal them, and he, he did. But Now, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. Jesus will comfort us when we're lonely, right? Beautiful. He loves to provide jobs. He can provide jobs for those who need jobs. He can heal the sick with just a word. He can overcome our loneliness, he can provide jobs, he can heal us when we're sick, but none of those are what it means to be saved. This is so important. Our biggest problem is not our loneliness or our unemployment or our sickness. Our biggest problem is our sin. Have you felt that in your heart? What you need is not a friend or a job provider or a healer, mostly. What you need mostly is a savior. So ask yourself, have you felt in your heart, I have sinned against God and I desperately need a savior. If you have never felt that in your heart, you have not been saved. And I want you to take this to heed, to heart. This is, it's, couldn't be more serious than this. I don't want anybody leaving here today wrong about whether they've been saved. If you have not felt in your heart that you've sinned against a holy, righteous God, that he justly has condemned you to hell forever, that it's completely just, and that you desperately need a Savior, you can't do anything yourself to save yourself, but you need Jesus as your Savior. If you've never felt that, then you haven't been saved. So what should you do if you haven't felt that? There's good news. Jesus will help you with that. Turn to him. Say, Jesus, I'm proud. I'm not feeling this. I'm not seeing it. Help me. Show me. As you trust him to convict you of sin, as you trust him to show you your sin, as you trust him to show you what a savior he is, as you ask him to do that, he will totally do that. He will change your heart and you will feel in your heart, I have sinned against God. Remember the story of the, the man praying away from the Pharisee who's beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You will feel that. You will pray that. And Jesus will save you. So that's the first test. Do you feel in your heart that you've sinned against God and that you desperately need a Savior? 
please take that to heart and ponder that. Now, in this verse, Peter doesn't just tell us what Jesus did to save us. He tells us why. This is amazing. Why did Jesus suffer for our sins? Look at verse 18 again. Look at what he says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And here's why. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So why did Jesus suffer for our sins? It was so we could be forgiven, yes. It was so we could escape hell, yes. It was so we could go to heaven, yes. But none of those were his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal, the, the end game, the final most important reason that he gave himself for our sins was to bring us to God. That's what he did. Now, it, it is, it's amazing news. Let's not make light of the fact that, I mean, not going to hell is amazingly good news. It should make us leap and dance and sing for joy. I mean, have you, have you pondered that lately? What your destiny was and what it now is? Oh, church, celebrate that. But the fact that Jesus brought us to God is far better than even that. John Piper likes to ask, what do you think is the most loving, kind, gracious thing that Jesus could do for you? What do you think that is? What comes into your mind? And the answer is, there's nothing more kind, more gracious, more beautiful that Jesus could do for me than bring me to God. Why? Why is that so great? It's because God is the greatest joy in the universe. He is. I mean, God has given us lots of other joys, right? And you, you, you have joy getting a work project done. It's like, yes, nailed that one. You know, right? there's, there's joy in that. You have, you have joy holding your wife's hand. You have, you have joy going stand-up paddling. Right? You have joy watching fish jumping out of the water. Right? God's given us lots of other joys, but those joys are like measured in millimeters. And the joy of knowing God is measured in hundreds and thousands of kilometers. And I remember the first time I tasted this, I was 17 years old, senior in high school in the U.S. Had had a summer where I was, I was just, everything was going great in my life, but I was empty. And I'd gone to church all my life, though, just never meant much to me. And, and God brought all those sermons back into my mind, and I knew that there was a God. I had sinned against him. I deserved judgment forever. Jesus died on the cross. This all became real to me. And I said, Jesus, save me. Forgive me change me, help me. And I'll never forget one night lying in my bed, just praying, and I'd started to thank God and to thank Jesus, started to worship Jesus, and I just started to weep with joy because he was there. And not physically, I couldn't see him, but I mean, I felt his love, I felt his nearness, the, the, the burden of guilt had lifted off of me, the, the forgiving, pardoning love of God had poured out upon me. I was just weeping for joy. Kilometers, hundreds and thousands of kilometers joy compared to the millimeter-sized joys of everything else. The very best thing God could do for us, the very best thing Jesus could do for us is to bring us to God. 
Now, Peter wants us to understand this more, so he, he asks one more question, or he answers one more question in this passage. How can Jesus bring us to God? And that's the point of the, that last phrase in the verse. Let's read the verse again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, and here's how, by being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So being put to death in the flesh, that's pretty easy to understand. That's the crucifixion. He was put to death in his body. He was crucified on the cross, and he did that in payment for our sins. So the wrath of God that you faced, if you're trusting Jesus, then the wrath of God that you faced was poured out and completely absorbed and extinguished in Jesus. That wrath that was in the Father's heart towards you was poured out upon his Son, broke the Father's heart, but he wanted to save us. Jesus absorbed that wrath in himself, suffering horribly on the cross, but the wrath has been paid for. It is gone, put to death in the flesh. So that's why Jesus can bring us to God. If, if Jesus hadn't paid for your sins, if you were still guilty in your sin, he couldn't bring you to God because he would bring you to a wrathful God and you would be punished forever by God. But Jesus paid for your sins so he can now bring you to God and God's arms are open wide to you. That's why it's so important that he was put to death in the flesh. How about that second phrase, made alive in the spirit? It's a little bit more of a tricky phrase to understand, and New Testament scholars have a lot of different explanations for what that means. I'll, I'll spare you all the, all the fine print in the footnote. Let me just give you my bottom line. You can study this for yourself. I think this should be translated, made alive by the capital S spirit. In the Greek, there's no capital or lowercase letters. It's all uppercase. So it's ambiguous as to whether this is somebody's own spirit or whether it's the Holy Spirit. I believe this is referring to the Holy Spirit. So this is a description of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus was made alive, resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus rose from the dead. So we're celebrating his death on Good Friday. We're celebrating his resurrection Sunday morning. Perfect verse, covers them both. Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean? It means, first of all, that he died. He died on the cross. The Roman soldiers made sure that he died by taking a spear and, and ripping his side open so that he would be sure to be dead. He was dead. Roman soldiers knew, they knew one thing, they knew how to kill. He was dead. Then he was buried. Friday night, buried. All day Saturday in the tomb, buried. Saturday night, buried. Sunday morning, the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead, alive, with a physical body, not the exact same body he had before, an even better spiritual, physical. It was a physical body. He could eat fish later on. 500 people saw him as eyewitnesses, like Nissen preached to us last Friday morning. Jesus was physically risen from the dead with the same physical transformed body that you will have in the new heavens and the new earth. So Jesus received. He rose from the dead. And so that the point of that is that Jesus is alive today. Jesus Christ is not still in the tomb. He is alive today. He said, last verse in the Gospel of Matthew, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us today, and that's another reason why he can bring us to God. Why is that? It's because if you are here this morning and you've not yet been saved, Jesus is here with the power to save you now. He can change your heart now. He can subdue your unbelief now. He can give you a heart of faith in himself and in the Father now. He can transform you into a new creature now. He can convict you of your sin now. He can do all these things now. He is here now. He's the one who saves. He does everything we need to be saved. All we do is just say, help me, and he moves in, and he changes our hearts and then when you turn and you put your trust in Jesus to forgive you, to change you, to fill you and satisfy you, at that instant, all the guilt is gone. You feel the weight of guilt lift off of you, the forgiving, pardoning love of God pouring upon you. Jesus has brought you to God. So one of the reasons Jesus can bring you to God is because he's resurrected from the dead. He's here. He's alive. Because you might be sitting there saying, I'm not going to get saved. I've got such an, an unspiritual bent. I'm so not interested in God. I feel so not convicted for my sin. It doesn't make any difference if you will look to Jesus and say, help me, change me, save me. And if you look to him and, and trust him, if you'll trust him. See, we come to him just as we are. You know, Billy Graham passed away just recently, right? How many of you have been to, ever been to a Billy Graham uh, crusade? I know we're, we're in a different country here. A few of us have. Remember the song they always closed with? Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. But see, the beauty of that song is just as I am. That is, I'm coming sinful. I'm coming proud. I'm coming unbelieving. I'm coming lost. If you can save me, then do it. And Jesus, who is resurrected and alive, will do it. So we come just as we are. And he takes us and changes us and saves us. He will supernaturally transform you. And he'll bring you to God. But it doesn't stop when you're saved. We who are following Jesus, do we ever have times when we feel far from God? Yes. Times when we're so overwhelmed with fear that... We're just not sensing that God loves us anymore? Yes. Times where we're just feeling guilty and weighed down by condemnation? And we, yes. We all experience that. And it's at those times that Jesus is there with you, alive, and he can bring you to God again. Not, not save you again, but bring you to God again. So I would encourage you, brother, sister in Christ, you're already trusting Jesus, but at those times when you're feeling far from God, don't say, well, maybe I'll feel better next week. No, just say, Lord, help me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Help me. You pray, you open up the scriptures, you say, change my heart. Come, I'm just not feeling any of this right now. Help me. He's there. He's resurrected. He's alive. Once again, he will tenderly, gently comfort you, change your heart, strengthen your faith, show you the Father, give you a taste of the Father's love. He'll come. He'll bring you to God. So that happens when you are first saved, and that happens throughout your Christian life as you continue to seek and know the Lord. And it all happens for two reasons. Because Jesus was put to death in the flesh and was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's how Jesus can bring us to God, by his death, 
paying for our sins and by his resurrection, meaning he's alive now and he can bring us to God now. And that brings us to our second test to discern whether we've been saved or not. The first test was this. Have we felt in our hearts that we've sinned against God and need a savior? Have we felt that in our hearts? Have you felt that? The second test is this. Am I glad for forgiveness because it brings me to God? Remember, Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Yes, forgiveness is part of that process. Yes, we will never face hell. Yes, we will go to heaven. But none of those are Jesus' ultimate reason. It's that he might bring us to God. So, so ask yourself, why are you glad for forgiveness? Are you glad for forgiveness just because it means you won't get punished? Are you glad for forgiveness just because you think it means you're going to avoid hell? Or are you glad for forgiveness because it's brought you to God? Is God your prize? Is God your greatest joy? Is that the main reason why you're glad forgiveness? Why you're glad you have forgiveness? Because you have God. Is that the main reason? If you aren't glad for forgiveness because you have God, because it brings you to God, then you haven't been saved. And the reason I say that is because when Jesus saves us, he brings us to God. Everyone who gets saved is brought to God. So this verse says, everyone who's saved, you're brought to God. And when you're brought to God and you see God in his glory and his love and his mercy, you taste the greatest joy you ever have tasted and ever will taste. And God, from that point on, becomes your treasure, your prize, your joy, your love. That's who God becomes to you. And your highest joy in forgiveness will always be because now I get God, now and forever. So ask yourself, is the reason you're glad for forgiveness because you've been brought to God? Is that why you're glad? So here's two tests. I'm just praying that if there's anybody here who needs this, and I, I, mean, I don't know there's anybody, but I would guess there is, that you would take it to heart. Two tests. Have you felt in your heart that you've sinned against God and that you desperately need a Savior? And is the reason you're glad for your forgiveness because you've been brought to God? It brings you to God. Okay, now, what if your answer to one or, one or both of those questions is no? Jesus Christ stands before you. He says, come, I'll help you. I will change your heart. Just as you are, you can come to him. Just as you are, he will save you. He will change you. Remember the story of the rich young ruler who loved money more than Jesus and walked away and Jesus said to the crowds, what's impossible for people is possible for God. Because God could have changed that man's heart if the man would have said, help me. 
And God will change your heart. He'll change your heart. So my encouragement to you is look at how much Jesus loves you. Just look at his love displayed in the cross and look at his power displayed in the resurrection. Look at how much he loves you. He's standing before you with his arms wide open saying, I will save you. I don't care how far from God you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how empty, empty your heart is from faith. I will save you. You come. I will save you. I will change you. I will give you the faith you need. I will free you from sin's power. I will forgive you for every sin. You come. Humble yourself and come, and he will. And then those of you who have felt your need for a savior, just rejoice. And those who are rejoicing in forgiveness because you've been brought to God, treasure God. Let's stand together. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us now. Do what my words cannot do, but what you can do. And that is, I pray that you would save people this morning. Save people. Help anyone here, Lord, who's deceived to not be deceived any longer and to turn to Jesus and to be saved. And anyone who knows they're not saved, Lord, we pray that they would see your love in Christ so clearly that they would come running to you and cling to Jesus and be saved. And Lord, those of us who are saved, we say thank you. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you, Father, for not sparing your own son, but delivering him up for us all. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and paying for our sins by your death. We're so grateful. And thank you for bringing us to God and that we have God as our treasure and our prize and our joy forever.